Welcome to Lift Their Voices, a podcast series presented by Roots of American Music in partnership with Evergreen Podcast. This podcast series seeks to celebrate important historical figures from marginalized communities and highlight local artists. Roots of American Music, also known as Rome, is a nonprofit established in 1999 and based in Cleveland Heights, Ohio. Rome integrates music and education in Northeast Ohio to create vibrant community through art and vibrant art through community. More information on Rome and ways for you to support can be found at rootsofamericanmusic.org. Special thanks to Ohio Arts Council and Cuyahoga Arts and Culture for their support. pleasure to be speaking with Bethany Joy and I'm wondering if you could start us off by saying a little bit about the communities of art that you belong to. What are some ways you've been involved with Rome and what are some other ways you've been involved in art and community? Yeah, I community is the most important thing to me and the music community I kind of started in Kent and Akron and they have a great music community there. Open mic nights and a lot of artists coming together, but coming to Cleveland, getting involved with Rome, um, they put me in schools, they put me in senior homes, playing like parking lot concerts when COVID was going on for people who were stuck in nursing homes and didn't have anything going on. And um, the way that music brings people together is phenomenal. And one of my passions is helping young women in the scene specifically, because as a young female musician you have a lot of like older men coming up to you like come to my house and record with me in my basement and I'll get you this show and it's like oh no dude so as a woman approaching another woman it's um extremely important for me to extend like whatever I can if it's like hey let's play a show together or come to my open mic night or like I want to help you and like guide you in any way that I can I that's important to me to facilitate that to young up-and-coming female artists and um I put on a concert series through Roots of American Music called Women in Music during kind of COVID, kind of as it was settling, but just highlighting women in the music scene and getting them up on the stage um, in a venue where they weren't otherwise at. So um, community is everyone, but it's also like for me very important to like help young women and, and all women and highlight all women, especially like I look up to the older women in this scene. There aren't many, you know, but um, showing up to shows, just like being a face in the audience is super important for me too. So being not on the stage all the time, but also in the crowd is, is how I show up. Yeah. Could you say a little bit about people you show up for? Who are some of the people who are guiding lights for you? Absolutely. Um, Jen Maurer is someone, she's an Akron person, but she's been a musician for many, many years. And uh, 
she has a band called Momojo that's been around for like a couple couple decades and phenomenal player. Um, Becky Boyd is a Cleveland local artist that I frequent her shows and she's been playing for a long time. And, um, but the younger artists, like my friend Josie McGee, who's here, I love going to see her and singing with her and supporting her. And those are just a, a few to name. Yeah. yeah. And well, let's say Taylor Lamborn. She's a very prominent blues singer in Cleveland that I absolutely adore and support. Yeah. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Would you mind also saying a little bit about some of the work you did during the pandemic? Was Could you run through a day working at, with kids or what was a session like in one of these older home situations? Oh, yeah. The kids, it was crazy. It was all virtual. So I had like a classroom full of kindergartners on Zoom and I was trying to teach them about blues music. Uh, so they were, I just showed some YouTube videos and tried to engage them and show them different instruments and talked about different music. Um, I did songwriting through Stop the Hate virtually as well. Um, so kids would write some lyrics and I'd create a song and we'd try to work on it together. Parking lot gigs, so distance and for the old folks. And actually there was one thing that was really special. We did like a special songwriting project with seniors where we'd talk to them on the phone and just talk. they could talk about whatever they wanted, their lives. And then we wrote a song with them. But I had a woman who was like a poet and she's like, I've always wanted to write a song. So she wrote the lyrics and I just turned it into a song and I met her, ended up being able to meet her in person and playing it for her. Um, but it, it just felt really important because those folks were so isolated during that time. So Roots was Roots of American Music was still out there, like getting into those communities and helping people during that. Yeah, it was cool. great. What was the song called? <sighs> Josie, what's it called? All I can, yeah, all I can, yeah. Cool, wonderful. (laughs) Yeah. Could you say a little bit about your own songwriting work? One of the themes tonight is connecting with the the history of Rachel Carson, who was Mm -hmm. a wonderful writer and someone who started off with some works that were just about her reverence for the ocean and her reverence for life and kind of seeing these connections. And then she was also someone who was famously kind of jealous of her own time. Rachel Carson wrote this book called Silent Spring in 1962, and it talked about DDT, which is a chemical that was a synthetic pesticide that was used pretty widespread for a lot of years. And um, it's now been banned partially um, because of her book and her work. So DDT was really known as this miracle chemical at the time, and they were using it on humans. They were using it to fight malaria in World War II. A lot of soldiers were dying from it, so they were just spraying entire islands with this chemical. Um, in Italy, there was a typhus outbreak, which was spread by lice. So they were spraying people in the streets. It's like a powder, and they were like throwing it on people and spraying it, and just people were lining up in the streets to get DDT like on their bodies. And it worked. It helped with malaria. It stopped the typhus epidemic. So it was um, said to be a miracle a miracle chemical and like Time Magazine revered it as like the greatest discovery of World War II. Um, and then Rachel Carson worked for the Fish and Wildlife Department, the government department, and they were doing research on conservation and the environment, discovering the effects this chemical had on the wildlife and the environment. 
So she wrote this book basically saying like, we gotta be careful about this, like using this all the time and like widespread use on crops and on people and it's killing wildlife. And it, what it does to insects is their nervous system basically goes haywire and they can't move and eventually they have seizures and they have paralysis and then they die. Um, but it doesn't have that effect on humans. So they were like, oh, humans are fine, it's cool. But it was killing all this wildlife and like the runoff was causing issues in the environment. So she wrote this book and it was 1962. So they were saying, she's a communist and she's a crazy woman and she's hysterical and basically discrediting all of her work um, because they were making a lot of money with using this chemical. Um, but her work actually led to a bunch of environmental acts being passed, Clean Water Act, Wilderness Act, and all these other things. Eventually the EPA was created because of questions that she posed that people hadn't been asking. Um, so to relate this to myself and my music, I actually just came out with an album called Planet. And um, the album is sort of centered around compassion, compassion for yourself, for other humans, and also for the planet. But um, my song Planet goes against what people want to hear. Um, it goes against what the common rhetoric is, which is like, buy a hybrid and like buy seventh generation products and uh, get a bamboo toothbrush and don't use a straw. All of that is very much capitalist, um, capitalist society. It's a ploy to get you to spend three times as much money on a product because it feels good and you feel like you're doing something for the environment. And in small doses, I think those things help reusing and, you know, being vegetarian and vegan and all that. But what we tend to not think about is how inaccessible it is for a lot of people to be a vegetarian and to afford these products and like to judge others based on what they're not doing um, is is just overlooking a lot. So I get frustrated with the consumption, the product mentality of environmentalism. So that's what I challenge in my song. say a little bit about your own song craft. It sounds like you had one song called Still Friends that involved drinking too much and waking up anxious and that <laughs> led to a song. So could you maybe start with that one and, and go into other ways in which you think about writing songs? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a very isolating thing for me as well. Like Rachel, I have to be alone. I don't want to be disturbed. It's really hard for me to work if other people are around and it often comes from a melody that's just in my mind or a guitar lick that I'm doing. And um, so a lot of times I'll just sing random things. I'll just find a melody and sing random words until something sticks out to me. And I'm like, okay, that's what the song's about. I'll make it about this thing. But it's almost, uh, it's almost like a trance uh, sometimes where it hits you, it hits me so hard and I have, I just have to do it. I have to produce it. I have to make it like, I have to write it all while it's there. It's a very fleeting thing, creativity. And I can't force it. I can't just like sit down and be like, I'm going to write a song today. 
Um, it has to be like this visceral experience that comes from something outside of me and comes through me. So I think like creative people a lot of times um, need that space and that isolation and that like connection to something else to to have something to to put out there because that's definitely how it is for me even though I do like write songs with kids and I have a time frame and I do a veteran songwriting workshop where I have one day to write a song for this person but um I harness everything I can and I try to like block my schedule off and just be like I'm just gonna sit in my house and write and do nothing else and tap into that thing yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess one other kind of connection to Carson is this idea that a lot of her writing came out of really close attention to the world and really close attention to the natural world, really close attention to lots of boring policy things and, his, and scientific documents and things like that. I guess I'm wondering if, if you could say a little bit about, you know, what does it mean being from Northeast Ohio, from this environment, <laughs> from mm. the environment of the legacy city or post-industrial city or, mm-hmm. you know, however we want to think about where we live? Um, does that fit into your process at all? How do you think of that in, in shaping your yourself as a performer? It totally shaped my music taste. I was a big Nine Inch Nails fan growing up. Trent Reznor is from Cleveland. Uh, Tool is one of my favorite bands. Maynard lived in Ravenna. Marilyn Manson, I was a big fan. He lived in Canton. So all these like very like post-industrial, dark, heavy artists that I grew up listening to came, you know, partially from this area. And I had a lot of really sad songs that I used to write. Before this album, it was all kind of sad and like a little grungier, a little more depressing and slow. And I found that when I was in a room playing those, it didn't facilitate the feeling I wanted. I wanted people to feel joy and have fun. So I sort of intentionally shifted my direction to be like a little bit more upbeat and a little bit more funky and groovy and jazzy and like, but it's such a deep part of me. Like growing up here, my whole life being in Northeast Ohio, it's depressing. I have a song called Ghost Town that's about war in Ohio where I'm from. It was a lot of drugs, a lot of alcohol, a lot of depression, a lot of violence. And um, yeah, it's very dismal, but I, I, I see now the positives of this area when before it was very like, I need to get the f- out of here. <laughs> now I'm like, wait, there's so much good here and there's so much creativity. So I'm harnessing that in my adulthood. But yeah, it very much, uh, it didn't feel that way most of my life. Yeah. When hard times come, we should tonight you hit sort of lightly on some of these themes of loneliness or anxiety or some of them 
difficulty. Um, and it, it's interesting to hear how that's changed over time. Um, I think it can be a bummer to live here. Uh, mm-hmm. And then it sounds like you found your way maybe through arts and music into other kinds of, of worlds. So could you say a little bit about uh, just, I don't know, your first open mic night or hosting an open mic night or what that means to you? Yeah, I remember um, my first real open mic night I was going to is the Venice Cafe in Kent. And my buddy Randy Horvath hosted. And he was just a powerhouse and had this amazing voice. And I was like playing Fleet Fox's covers and like very quiet and afraid. And he's like, Bethany, I used to have to turn you all the way up. And then like a couple years of going to that open mic night, he's like, now you're like standing back from the microphone and you're all loud. And so it, it was really scary in the beginning, um, but I had people in the community who would give me positive feedback. Wow, you're so great. Yeah, you sound so good. Kept me coming back every week. I eventually started hosting that open mic at the Venice Cafe for a couple years, and now I host one at Forest City. But it's, um, you know, what I love about open mic is, like, people clap pretty much no matter what. Like, you could be total trash. (laughs) Like, people will still clap and, like... God bless stand-up comedians. People don't just pity laugh, you know? So I feel like being a musician is just a lot easier in a lot of ways. Like just getting up on the stage and playing an instrument, people are like, wow, great job, you know? So it really, that really fueled me and helped me. And um, the open mic night scene got me here, really did. Got me comfortable being on a stage. And I love giving back. I love being a host and like seeing other people up there and clapping and being like, great job, you sound so good, you're improving and... That's a, that's a really cool part that I can play in the community, yeah. Maybe we can just close out um, by saying a little bit about your album. And uh, yeah, we've got 10 tracks here. And could you say, what's your favorite thing that came out of this process? Oh my God. <sighs> I love making records. I love recording. Favorite thing, I don't know. I, I think just hearing like the production aspect, hearing all the pieces and parts come together and getting to sit there and tweak things and like, I want to add this harmony or let's like take, let's double layer this acoustic guitar on top of this electric guitar. And like, I truly had such an incredible team of people working on this, recording, engineering, playing all the instruments, singing, like everybody on it is phenomenal. And I've I've just felt incredibly blessed to like have them want to participate in the project and like care about the songs and then have an engineer, Tuck Midrum, who uh, is so intentional about like hearing, like listening to me and my feedback and whatever, whatever I wanted he would, he would do. So I think just that, that like, it's like taking a paintbrush and you only have a couple colors, but now all of a sudden you have like all of the colors at your disposal. So being in the studio is such a cool thing to me. Like playing live is awesome, but to really craft it and perfect it and just add all these things you couldn't do live um, was just such such a, man, it was so much fun. So I'm very proud of the album and everyone on it sounds great. And uh, you're not going to hear that anywhere else. You know, we, pl- we try to do it live as best we can, but it's really just a special thing to have it imprinted in time forever. All right. Well, thank you so much uh, on behalf of Roots of American Music, and we look forward to seeing you at more Rome events. Thanks, George. You've been listening to Lift Their Voices, a podcast series presented by Roots of American Music in partnership with Evergreen Podcasts. To learn more about Roots of American Music and support our work, please visit rootsofamericanmusic.org. Thanks to our featured artist, Bethany Joy. 
To learn more about Bethany and listen to her music, please visit bethanyjoymusic.net. Special thanks to Ohio Arts Council and Cuyahoga County Arts and Culture for their continued support. Today's episode was produced by Morgan McCaskey. It was recorded by Morgan McCaskey and Brian Kennard. Post-production engineering by Dave Douglas. Contains original music by Bethany Joy. I'm your host, George Blake. Thank you for listening. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. All right, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) I know, right?